passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. We won the World Series. Can you freaking believe it? And I got to tell you, I got to be honest with you. Down 3-0 early, I wasn't feeling good. I don't want to hear about what happened two nights earlier. I don't want to hear about game six. I don't want to hear about Bob Stanley crap in the bed and Calvin Chiraldi crap in the bed and Mookie Wilson. I don't want to hear about it. When you are down 3 nothing, and Bruce Hurst is basically Sandy effing Koufax, I was nervous. Welcome to Rico Bronia, where we recreate, not recreate, we react to Game 7 of the 86 World Series, the first ever Rico Bronia rewatch. Uh, we eventually picked the game. We debated this for uh, many weeks. We- will it be a loss? Will it be a win? What game should we rewatch? And I got to tell you, I really enjoyed doing this. This was game seven of the 1986 World Series. And, and a part of why we brought it up, and I feel vindicated after watching it, was that it's a game in history that's forgotten about. And it's unfair. And it's wrong. We know. First thing you learn as a young Met fan growing up, no matter your age, is we won two World Series, 1969, 1986. And we know the basics. Mets lost game one of the Orioles, came back and won four straight. Miracle Mets, the Orioles were like in the verge of basically being a dynasty, and they beat them. And your lesson from 86 is mostly about game six. And look, I think we all acknowledge Game six of the 86 World Series, pound for pound, maybe the greatest game of all time. No one's disputing that. This is not about putting down game six. But when the Mets won game six, they evened up the World Series. They didn't win the World Series. They evened up the World Series. 
And the only thing I ever remember my dad telling me about game seven, and I'm going to call him, he is full of shit. Okay. And I love my dad. My dad would tell me we were losing the game and we came back, but everybody knew we were going to come back. Now, my dad watched this rewatch with me. And I thought that was really cool because here's a guy who was at the game sitting in our season tickets. He was at game seven of the 86 World Series at every game during that postseason run. In fact, I think my dad has told me he's been at every postseason game since, I guess not 69, but 73, 86, 88, 99, 2000. The only postseason game he's ever missed was the Mike Sochi game, which is a different story for a different, that's a different rewatch. I'll leave it at that. But I sit down, I was in Florida uh, about a week ago, and I sit down with my dad. My sister's there. My wife's there. And I said, hey, dad, this is a perfect time to do the rewatch. I'm going to score the game. I actually did score it. Let's watch game seven of the 86 World Series. And we're going to go into all the details. But one thing my dad said with the very first thing that happened that I could not believe was I don't remember. So my dad told me. And the thing I'm referring to, and Hoff, you you watched the game successfully. You watched the whole thing. I, I did, and I just want to say that I watched it with my five year old. He watched the ending, and he was clapping that the Mets won the World Series. So maybe, <laughs> may, maybe we could re- do that again so that he could become a Mets fan. Now I feel there good about it. There you go. There you go. When the right field fence came crumbling down, <laughs> okay, my dad looks at me and says. I don't remember that happening. (laughs) And I'm like, what? They made a makeshift fence in right field. And it came crumbling down. Like we all saw it. If you rewatch the game, they stopped the game for a couple of minutes. And I'm like, what the hell? And here's the craziest part about it. Okay. So if you want to say, ah, no, it makes sense that your dad forgot about it. It makes sense that maybe people who watch the game forgot about it. If I'm not mistaken, the next pitch, Rich Gedman hit a home run on. So the makeshift wall falls down. Okay, it was after a foul ball by Rich Gedman. So Gedman, it's a foul ball. Remember, Dwight Evans just hit the home run and put him up one nothing. Gedman, it's a foul ball. There's a delay. There's a 1-1 count. Ron Darling is like putzing with himself on the mound, waiting. Like, I guess we're going to restart. The game's delayed for a few minutes. Nothing crazy. And the next pitch he throws is a goddamn home run. Like, what? Yeah, that was a big deal. And it, it wasn't like three or four minutes. It was it was close to 10, I, I think. Right? Was it he, 10? Because Dolan's, Dolan's sitting there. He starts warming up his arm a little bit more, too. He's throwing some pitches because they're, they're picking the people and the wood off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, what? This is what I mean by rewatches and gems. Like, no one told me that story as a kid. No one said in the second inning of Game 7 of the World Series, there's a makeshift area for dignitaries to, and I, I don't even know if it was dignitaries, down the right field line, and because it was so makeshift, on a foul ball with people reaching over, the whole thing crumbled. Like, What? <laughs> Dude, that was when I saw that. I, I, and I, because I, I watched it in two halves, but the first half I watched it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I'm, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was drunk. I'm like, did this really happen? No one talked about this at all. This is one of those crazy things that happened in a World Series game of all time. It, it's crazy. And I thought it, what made it crazier is that 
he gave up a home run on the next pitch. So it wasn't just, hey, that's weird. The fence came down. If there was sports talk radio, we'd be saying that caused Darling to give up another home run, which was not. And I, I think it was the same home run because the Red Sox had two home runs in this game. All right. Top of the first inning, Ronnie gets through trouble, gives up a two-out single to Bill Buckner. More on that in a second, because I thought that was an amazing moment, too. Mets go down one, two, three in the bottom of the first inning. Top of the second inning, Dwight Evans has this just incredible at-bat and finally hits a home run left center field into the picnic area. Gedman hits the second of the back-to-back after the fence falls down, and Strawberry makes a leaping attempt in right field. The ball is in his glove. And it falls out, which happened in Boston a few games earlier, too. But Darrell has the ball in his glove, and it plops out. So think about baseball. This is the greatest sport ever created. I'm sorry. It's just effing awesome. <laughs> Home run Dwight Evans on some insane at-bat. Fence falls down. We have a 10-minute delay. I believe you. Get minutes a ball to right on the next pitch. Straw's got it in his glove. It falls out, and it's 2 nothing. But here's the part. I love my dad. He would not lie to me, but he's full of it. He looks at me. He's watching the game. He's like, never thought we'd lose. I was like, you never thought we'd lose. It's like that. It's two, nothing. And then by the way, five seconds later, it's three, nothing because Wade Boggs comes through with that huge two run single. And I'm, I'm looking at him like it's three, nothing. Then we watch the bottom of the second. Bruce Hurst barely breaks a goddamn sweat, and the Mets are done. Then he has another one, two, three inning, and another one, two, three inning. And I'm looking over at my dad saying, are you serious? No, we were always going to win. We're always going to win? It's 3 nothing. It's the sixth inning, and Bruce Hurst looks like he's goddamn Sandy Koufax. Like, I was getting nervous watching the game, thinking, did everybody lie to me? Did the Red Sox really win this World Series? What the hell is happening? Like, I knew they had come back from three runs down. Like, I knew that. But when you watch it and you're in it, you start to think to yourself, when are they coming back? Like, how are they coming back? So I I really think that history can make you change your views on things. Like, you remember things incorrectly. I don't buy for a second that my dad and everybody else in that ballpark knew the Mets were going to win. I, I just, I find that tough to believe no matter what happened two nights earlier. I got to be honest, Ron Darling, and I love Ron, we all do, he did not have a great performance. If that was today, he might have got booed off the, the field after that second <laughs> inning, to be to be fair. And while Darling was pitching, it was like almost like they should have pulled the plug a little sooner maybe, because you can't, in game seven, that he would have never been allowed to go that deep. I don't so, think so. It's a great question. So I was thinking about this watching this game. So Ron Darling gets through the first inning, and they hit the ball pretty hard off of him too. So it wasn't like a dominant first inning. Second inning gives up the home run to Evans like we talked about, gives up the home run to Gedman like we talked about, walks Dave Henderson. All right. So here we are, three batters into the second inning. You mentioned it. It's a winner-take-all game seven. They're down 2 nothing. He's now put another guy on base. Gets a huge out of Spike Owen, gets him to pop up. All right. Bruce Hurst immediately gets the bunt down. Beautiful, right? Runner on second. There's two outs. You got Wade Boggs coming up. It still felt early to pull him. 
So I wasn't like at that point saying, what are we doing? Get him out of the game. He gives up the base hit to Wade Boggs. At that point, I'm with, I'm warming up the freaking bullpen because now it's three, nothing. And I got Marty Barrett who they can't get out coming up. And then I got Bill Buckner coming up. Who's looking for revenge. Remember we are 48 hours removed from Bill Buckner having a ball go through his legs to the point where in the top of the first inning and Bill Buckner comes up, he's the third place hitter. He got a standing ovation from Met fans, which great. I love it. See Red Sox fans. They learned that from us because we gave Bill Buckner a standing ovation before game six, uh, game seven, just like they gave Mariano Rivera standing ovation before opening day 2005 after he blew some games. So they learned that from us. But Billy gets this standing ovation. And to Billy Buckner's credit, he came up and came through with a base hit. Now, it turned out to be an afterthought because it was a two-out single. Darling got Jim Rice out right after. So it turned out not to matter. But think about that. Here's Bill Buckner. He has been crucified because there was a rain out. So we got 48 hours between six and seven. He is being destroyed everywhere. Not on EEI because it doesn't exist. Not on the sports hub because it doesn't exist. Not on the fan because we don't exist yet. But I guess through newspaper writers, he's being destroyed. He gets a standing ovation from drunk Met fans and comes <laughs> through with a base hit. Like I got, I got to hand it to Billy Buckner, who had another hit late in the game. Like Billy Buckner sort of came to play in game seven of the World Series. He did. The one thing I did notice about Billy is that you could see how hurt he was. He was limp. He was limping yes. every time he was running. He just looked, I think his knee, he had bad knees, right? That, that was the big thing about Billy. Yep. Yep, and yep. you could, you could, you could definitely tell. And that was just, it was impressive. I, that was what I noticed. And the batting averages were so freaking high, except for his. Going into that game, going to game seven, Billy Buckner, Buckner was batting like under 200, but everyone else batting 350. I think Dave Henderson was what, like 400, close to yeah. it? Marty Barrett, who would have been the World Series MVP if the Red Sox won, was hitting the cover off the ball, no doubt. Yeah, I thought after Boggs got the hit that put him up 3 nothing. I got to start thinking about getting him out of the game. And he stuck with him. Marty Barrett laid down a bun single. And then he gets Bill Buckner out, which was huge because off the bat, that Buckner ball with two on, two out, three nothing game, that could break the game wide open. And he hit the ball really well to center field, and Mookie made a nice running catch. And obviously the Met bats are doing nothing. In the third inning, he gives up a leadoff hit to Jim Rice. And then, how about this one? And I thought this was huge. Kevin Mitchell throws him out at second. So Jim Rice is trying to turn a single into a double. And all I could think about on that bang-bang play was if there's replay, they could overturn this. They could overturn it. Now, we're not getting the same great replay views that we get today, but I got to tell you, it looked like Jim Rice got his leg in. And it was close enough where when you look at the glove going down to tag him in this day and age, I don't know, man. I think there's a 50-50 shot they overturned that crap. But the umpire was in such a great position as he fell over <laughs> as he was making the call. That to me was – he couldn't – I think even Scully said it too. He couldn't have been in a better spot. Literally was right there. I noticed that a bunch of times where I was like – I think um, there was a there was a play that Backman ended up throwing somebody out at second base. I'm like, that could have been – that was close. Did he get his, get, his, get his hand in on time? There was a ton of plays. I questioned the strike zone. 
and I was questioning whether or not we would have changed to overturn a call on instant replay. Oh, okay. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> All right. The umpiring, the home plate umpire was John Kibler, who I'm not that familiar with. There's a few of those guys I, I'd remember, like Ed Montague, Henry Wendelstad, Joe Brinkman, Dale Ford. Actually, I knew all the umpires. The only one I did not know was the home plate umpire, John Kibler. I don't remember him for whatever reason. His strike zone was abysmal. Like, I'm watching this game. I think it was the first batter of the game was Wade Box, top of the first inning. And I'm commenting angrily to my dad. That's a ball. They called it a strike. That's a strike. They called it a ball. What the hell is going on? Where's my strike zone box when I need it? Like, it seemed if we could go back in time and judge the performance of Kibler calling balls and strikes, that it was really, really bad, which is something I've always brought this up to to Joe, to Beningo, whenever he's brought this up about how bad umpires are, even referees in the NFL. I'd argue them they're better today than they were back then. No, it doesn't mean they're perfect now. It doesn't mean I'm celebrating umpires now, but that strike zone. Did anybody watch this game and feel like that strike zone looked accurate at all? It didn't. No, it was it terrible. Like it was all over the place. It was awful. And it, it shows too with the with the strikeouts. I mean, there was there was few it wasn't until um Sid came in the game that the Mets even got their first strikeout. Wow, Hoff, Hoff, you're so right about that. When you just look at, okay, this game was 1986, we're in 2023. What's the biggest difference? Like, what's the number one thing that's different in the sport? The number one thing, it is not even close, is what you just said, the strikeouts. So New York Met pitching struck out six batters, which is nothing this day and age. Seven, I have seven. pitching. Struck out three batters. That's it. All by Bruce Hurst in the first five innings. The Mets did not strike out from the sixth inning on. So now a lot of that is approach. The the approach is just completely different. A lot of it is guys aren't throwing 99 mile an hour sliders. Uh, You know, I'm watching uh, Al Nipper pitch and I'm like, I think I could hit him. I think I could get to Al Nipper. Joe Sambito. I think I could get a base hit off of him. So there are a few reasons for that, but yeah, like guys aren't striking out. Now, to your point, when do you pull Ron Darling? When do you get him out of the game? I thought I would have been antsy with Buckner in the third inning, or the second inning, I should say. I would have been very, very antsy. Third inning, he gets through it, because remember that leadoff single we talked about, Rice gets thrown out at second, gets the next two guys out. Now the fourth inning, and this is where Davey made the move. He hits Dave Henderson right off the top. Spike Owen hits the crap out of the ball, but hits it right at Darrow, and Bruce Hurst gets the bunt down. Runner on second, one out, Wade Boggs coming up. And Davey was spot on because that's when Davey went out and said, we're done. Ronnie, I appreciate it. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your time. You gave up an RBI single to Wade Boggs a few innings earlier, and years and years before the theory that you can't have a starter go through the lineup a third time around, Davey Johnson says, well, in game seven, I agree. And he goes to Elsid. And let us spend a few minutes talking about the utter brilliance of Elsid Fernandez. Because the New York Mets do not win the World Series, if not for Elsid. It is a 3 nothing game. He ends up walking Wade Boggs, by the way. So he doesn't even get Wade out. And there's two on, there's two out, and here's Marty Barron. And it's a 3 nothing game. 
And here it is. Game's on the line. And Sid bears down, gets him to fly out the straw, gets through the inning, and then retires the next six guys. And at your point, Pete, is striking guys out. Strikes out four of those six guys to keep the game close. And it's funny, when he got through the fifth, he got through the heart of the order, he struck out the last two guys he faced, the crowd's electric. And Vin Scully says, I wonder if this will get the Met bats going. And they look so goddamn limp in the bottom of the fifth inning that it did not get them going. Thank you, Vin. It did not work, you jinx. You son of a bitch. But then, after El Sid got through another dominant sixth inning, the New York Met Bats awoke. The New York Met Bats said, all right, Bruce, Bruce Hurst, you've been very, very dominant, but things are about to change. Bruce gets the first guy out, Rafael Santana. So let's let's remind ourselves where we are. It's 3 nothing Red Sox. It's the bottom of the sixth inning. There's one out and nobody on. The Boston Red Sox are 11 outs away from winning a World Series. Obviously not the cry of uh, two nights earlier when they're a strike away from winning the World Series, but the Mets are down 3 nothing. And here's a golf clap for Lee Mazzilli. Because Lee Mazzilli was the guy pinch hitting for Sid Fernandez. I, I could argue right now most important at bat of the game. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Right here and there. Because the rally's got to start somewhere. You're down 3 nothing. Like, you got to do something. It's the bottom of the sixth inning. Can't let this thing go to the seventh, eighth, and ninth and hope for magic again. And Lee comes through with a nice clutch ground ball base hit in the left field. Runner on first. One out. Here's Mookie. Jumps on the first pitch. Base hit the left field. You can feel things are changing now. First and second. One out. Timmy Tuffle at the plate. And now Bruce Hurst is starting to feel it. And this is where McNamara may have screwed the pooch here. I know we didn't love his bullpen. How could you trust Bob Stanley? How could you trust Calvin Chiraldi? He never went to a few of his relievers. Oil can Boyd's available, but is he? He's sitting there in the dugout looking confused. Nobody knows. But Bruce Hurst is losing the strike zone. 
and he walks Tuffle, and now the bases are loaded, and there's one out, and Keith's coming up, and it's like, hello? Like, I know Bruce was dominating for the first five innings, but what's going to happen now? And on the second pitch, Keith Hernandez rips that line drive to left center field, and right there, everything felt different. Two runs come in. It's three to two. Tuffle, it goes first to third, and then Davey pinch runs for him, which I thought was interesting. Didn't pinch run for him immediately. Waits till he gets to third before he takes Tuffle out for Wally Backman. And here comes Gary Carter. And this was also an insane play. 3-2, first and third, one out. Gary, it's a blooper to right. Dwight Evans makes a diving attempt. He does not catch it. Keith Hernandez is caught between first and second, is thrown out at second base. No big deal. Runs scores. It's a tie game. And Keith wanted to murder somebody. Keith's like, hey, Jim Edmonds. Hey, Dale Ford. Can you signal if the ball's caught or not? And I got to say this, though, after watching the replay. I don't think the umpires did anything wrong. I think it was just a very, very tough play to call. And once that ball is loose and they're signaling, uh, the safe sign, which means he didn't catch it. There just wasn't a lot of time. And very quickly, Dwight Evans got up, made the throw to second, Keith's out at second base. But was he? Did I didn't see a tag perfectly? That's one of those things I, I would have played on that too. It's a force. You don't need to tag him. Remember, because the ball fell in. So Carter's going to first. All he's got to do is force him at second base. Remember. See what I'm saying? Sorry. I thought he tagged him out, though. Didn't, wasn't there a tag on that play? I know he didn't have to tag him. He didn't have to, but I thought he did, though. I thought that's what they called the ruled man on the tag. Uh, that's I'm what. Trying, okay, that one, I, you know what? I don't remember. I think that it was just they threw him out at second base and foot was on the bag, didn't matter. But it was one of those weird things where I understand Keith being upset. But in that moment, I'm at Chase Stadium. I'm just so freaking excited I tied the game. We're down 3-0. Thing feel, things feel like dead. And I come back, and I'm at least able to tie the game. I did like, though, the the home plate umpire going up to Keith, him not wanting any of it, just basically tossing and like ro- throwing his, his helmet on the ground. I felt like he had a little – the Keith was such a badass. He oh, really yeah. freaking was, dude. No, he, he was awesome. He was awesome. Dowra lines out, innings over, but tie game. Everything feels great. Now, the key was, Sid's out of the game. You got to keep this game tied. And Roger McDowell's credit, one, two, three, seventh inning, very quickly, too. Credit to Keith Hernandez, who made a very good defensive play on the Wade Boggs, little chopper to third. And Knight made a low throw to first. Keith scoops it out. I know it's like a small glimpse. We didn't get, you know, it's one game. But Keith giving you a little reminder of how brilliant defensively he is. Maybe he was as good defensively as Rico. Maybe it's possible that he's on the side. I'm screwing around. I know how great he is. Bottom of the seventh inning. Here comes Calvin Schiraldi, the former Met farmhand. And he did not wait. It was a prompt rain night. Home run the left. Mets take the lead. Now, I get it. You're in the building. Mets are down 3 nothing. They score three in the sixth. Ray Knight goes deep in the seventh. Now I believe my dad, if he wants to say, we're never losing this game. Now I believe him. Now I say, okay, fine. I get it. 
Uh, Kevin Mitchell gets pinch hit for with Lenny Dykstra, who comes through with a single. And then we see the game get slowed down because Lenny's a threat to steal. He's a threat to steal. And Chiraldi throws over. And Chiraldi throws over. And Chiraldi throws over. First pitch to Santana, pitch out, and it's wild. And Dykstra goes to second. That was tremendous. I miss that in today's age. Like We don't get that very often. First of all, you can't do that anymore. You can't pick off five times in a row. But nevertheless, a pitch out. Like We don't see pitch outs anymore. And a wild pitch out by a clearly shooken Calvin Chiraldi. Underrated hit in this game. Rafael Santana, RBI single right over first. Mets up by two runs. Boom, boom, boom. McDowell lays down the bunt. We've already seen more bunts in this game than we did the entire 2022 season. <laughs> right, right out of the gate. Then McNamara makes a very interesting decision. Very interesting. He goes to the lefty Sambito, who walks Mookie Wilson, then can't throw a strike to Wally Backman, and now the bases are jacked for Keith, who drives in the insurance run sacrifice fly. Three-run lead, 6-3. Ball game's over, right? No big deal. It's done. Good night. We'll see you later. And then the Red Sox rally. That made me nervous. Like, I know the result, and I'm nervous. Very, very nervous. Oh, yeah, one other thing. I want to go real quick back to the seventh inning. Bill Buckner on the bunt by McDowell had an easy out at second base and instead looked at second hesitated, got the sure out at first. I guess you could argue it didn't make a difference because of, I know, I guess it would have made a difference because they intentionally walked the next hitter. They're not intentionally walking the next hitter if Bill makes the play at second base. So a little bit of a defensive miscue by Billy Buckner. I feel bad picking on him. <laughs> I feel bad bashing him, but come on, Billy. Can you throw the ball to second base? What are you afraid? What do you think is going to happen? What do you Listen, he just messed up the day before. He's overthinking things. He really <laughs> he is. Clearly. He's overthinking it. The, the rally by the Sox in the eighth inning was frightening. So McDowell stays in, rightfully so, at a one, two, three, seventh. Got no issue with that. Stay in the game to lay down the bunt. Gives up a leadoff hit to Billy Buckner. Credit to Buckner. Guy's hitting still. I can't, can't feel the position for a lick. Letting balls go through his legs. Not throwing a second base on an easy bunt out at second base. Lead off single, and then this is the play. This is the play that could live in Met history, but it doesn't. Jim Rice rips a ball to shortstop. If you're Rafael Santana, you got to make this play. Like, dude, Ra Rafi, Rafi, why are you here? Like, what are you doing here? Now, granted, inning earlier, you came through with an RBI single, and that was great, but you're not here for your stick. You're here for your glove. So when Jim Rice hits a ball that's right at you, Make the goddamn play. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? That's a double play in your back pocket. Like, what are we right. doing? What are we doing? And, and I'm waiting for Vin to say, you know, the official score is going to take a look. They didn't even look at it. They're just like, oh, it's a base hit. Base hit my ass. Santana's got to make that play. And then, of course, what happens? Dwight Evans rips a two-run double, and all of a sudden, like, it's a one-run game. And the tying runs on second. Like, what the hell is going on here? Mets are breaking open the game in the bottom of the seventh. Shea Stadium is moving. And Roger McDowell, with the help of Rafael Santana's brutal defense, has brought the Red Sox right back in the game. 
Now, Davey don't mess around. This is why I love Davey. You know, Davey Johnson, Pete, used to have this criticism that he doesn't manage. You know, just puts the lineup out there. He's got all these stars. He, he doesn't do anything. That is such crap. Okay, he don't manage. Davey Johnson said, with a runner on second and nobody out in the eighth inning, get over here, Jesse. Get your ass in this game. Go get me six outs, and let's call it a day. And here are the two plays that changed everything. Number one, he's ahead of Rich Gedman 0-2, and Gedman hits that slow line drive to Backman at second. And I think this may have been the play you're referring to, where Backman catches it and then very quickly tries to double off Evans at second base. Yes, exactly. That's the one. Yeah, 100%. I thought I again if you go back there's no really good angle of this the replay. Did his hand get in there on time? I mean, Backman fired that ball super quick. That yes. was that was very quickly. I think he was safe, but you're right, like we didn't see enough replays to really know, but monumental play because Gedman does the job of hitting the ball to the right side. Problem is it's in the air. So it's picked off by Backman, one out. Now the Red Sox are going to need a base hit. And Jesse strikes out Dave Henderson. Huge freaking spot. Now he's two outs. He's one out away from getting through it. Uh, what's his name? Uh, McNamara goes to his bench, goes to Don Baylor. Totally agree with that. Goes to his DH. There's no DH in the National League at this point. <laughs> Feels weird saying that. And he gets Don Baylor to ground out. Santana doesn't F it up. Good for him. And Jesse Orozco escapes the bottom of the eighth inning with the tying run sitting there on second base. Jesse Orozco, we know he showed balls in game six against the Astros. How about these balls? How about what he just did here? Runner on second, nobody out with a one-run lead, and he comes in, gets a soft line drive, a strikeout, and a grounded a short. Hell of a job by Jesse. Jesse, you the goddamn man. You're the real MVP. You're the real MVP. Now we go to the bottom of the eighth inning. Daryl hits that just absolute bomb to put him up to. But here's my favorite part. I think this is my favorite part of the game. So Daryl hits the home run. Great. Mets are up by two, three outs away from a championship. You're feeling good. Ray Nye comes through with another base hit. He's just cinching up this MVP. I do have a few emails of people questioning Ray Nye as the MVP, which we'll get to. But Ray Nye comes through with the single. Remember, hit the game-winning home run in this an inning earlier. Uh, Dykstra grounds out. They intentionally walk Santana, and here's what they're doing. There's a runner on second with one out. So the thought is they're going to let Jesse hit. They're not taking Jesse out of the game. I got to pinch hit for Jesse with what? With a Howard Johnson and then go to who? Rick Aguilera? Doug Sisk? Doc Gooden? Like, where are they going? So Jesse stays in the game with a runner on second and one out. And for those of you who have friends who didn't rewatch game seven of the 86 world series because they're a know-it-all because they're an arrogant. Oh, I don't, I don't need to rewatch this. I already know what happened. I want you to ask them this trivia question. I want you to say, Hey, who drove in the final run for the New York Mets in game seven of the 86 world series? And they may say, well, did Daryl hit a home run? Yes, we we're aware that wasn't the final run. They'll say, well, Ray Knight probably did. He was the World Series MVP. Okay, you're just wasting our time. Because the answer is Jesse a freaking 
Roscoe. Jesse Orozco, who has a handful of RBIs in his major league career, one postseason hit in his major league career, hits a 1-1 chopper up the middle for an RBI single. Here comes Knight. He will score. The Mets are up three. And yes, as an old school man, it gives me pride to say, relief pitcher Jesse Orozco. RBI single, it's eight to five Mets. What up? That was awesome. Uh, my my son was wa- watching that part of the game, and he was very excited to tell me uh, how that happened. It would, dude. You think about that. That right there is where you feel like you won the game. You could say the strawberry home run, but when Orozco does that, I mean, that is come on. That that's just like the icing on the cake. Oh, hundred percent. I I wonder in watching this, Pete. In all seriousness. When's the moment I'd say we got this? Like, I don't believe my dad's thought that. We always thought that because of the way game six transpired. I don't buy that. Like, you're down three nothing. Bruce Hurst is dominating. There's no way you're that confident we're going to come back like the night before. Even when you tie the game. Okay, it's a 3-3 game in the seventh inning. You never know. Even when they take the three-run lead, the Red Sox immediately rallied. Like, immediately in that eighth inning, they get three straight hits. They get two runs back. So is it Orozco getting out of the eighth? Is it Daryl hitting the home run? Or is it what you said? The Jesse Orozco RBI single that gives them a three-run lead. I'm going to go Orozco. I don't think it's crazy. I don't (laughs) think it's crazy. And then we go to the ninth. And Jesse makes it relatively easy. Keith made a really good play for the first out. That foul pop-up. The ground out by Wade Boggs, and then the crowd is on its feet. Marty Barrett's coming to the plate. And remember what happened an inning earlier. An inning earlier, the New York Mets had the NYPD sit on horses and march around the warning track, as, as Vin Scully called it, a show of force. <laughs> because they... <laughs> Because they didn't want the fans jumping on the field like they did when they won the division. So this was top of the eighth inning. So the timing of it is really weird because it's right after the Mets took a three-run lead and right before the Red Sox rally, that rally we talked about. That's the moment when the horses are marched out onto the field. They're walking from like the Met bullpen through the warning track around the field for no reason other than to intimidate, which I'm not arguing. Like I totally get why. And obviously we haven't had an incident like this since Yankees win the world series in 96, the horses are there. In fact, Wade Boggs rode one and I can understand why, because as he's sitting there at Chase stadium, watching these horses come out, he's like, you sons of bitches, you damn horses. (laughs) Who knew 10 years later, he'd get to ride one of those horses. So, Jesse strikes out Marty. We are the world effing champions. And if anyone jumped on the field, it was not noticeable because of that show of force. And what a great moment. Shea is just like loud as all hell. The Mets are falling all over each other. And a tear did come to my eye thinking, when is it our turn? Like this was fun. I really enjoyed watching game seven of the 86 world series, but when do we get to do this? When do we get to all jump and go crazy 
<sighs> so then I got a little melancholy, Pete. I got a little sad. I will say this, because uh, being at the last playoff games for um, at City Field, I didn't get the same feeling as I did watching this game. Because like when Sid Fernandez came out, Mets were down 3 nothing, And I felt the crowd. Like I, I, I rewatching the game, and I'm not there, but I felt the crowd. I felt the presence. I felt the energy. I'm like, wow, this is like things change, and you could feel that the crowd was in it. The games where the Mets lost at, at City Field, the crowd was like, blah. And I, and I'm not trying to say, well, listen, you know, you're down. The, the crowd's of course not going to be into it, but like I, I felt like today's crowd is never going to be as engaged and locked in. And that's going to, that, that hurts a little bit. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that when you are on the heels of the greatest world series comeback we've ever seen, and you're a win away from a world series, it's just so different than a wild card round. It just, it's a different animal. Like I remember city field being electric and having that sound during the 2015 run. Cause it was so different. Like, they came back. It's 1-1 against the Dodgers. They're up 2-1 against the Dodgers. They're opening up an NLCS against the Cubs. Uh, it's the World Series against Kansas City, even down 2-0, even down 2-1, even down 3-1. I always felt that that place had a movement and a soul. So matching the 86 crowds always going to be maybe impossible. But in terms of the electricity and the loudness, I've seen it. And I don't think last year necessarily is going to be an indication of the way it always sounds. But hey, listen, man, that park was moving. There's no doubt. You could feel it through the TV. There was also weird things I was feeling through the TV, such as the music. And, and I'm not judging the music because it's 1986 and oldies music in 1986 is 1955. If you want to go back 30 years. But whenever the Mets were making a pitching change, like when Sid came in, the music was so weird. Like... <laughs> I don't know what the hell was playing. Like, I'm listening to this thinking, what is happening right now? Um, it was I, thought just, I, heard, I thought I heard Sinatra a couple times. Okay, so I heard New York, New York before the top of the seventh, which really pumped up the crowd. Right. And I heard some normal music, like music I've heard before. But if you go back, and obviously you can, because we all watch this on a YouTube clip. Go back to when the Red Sox were making their pitching changes in the seventh. And when the Mets made their pitching changes, Jesse came in in the eighth, Sid came in in the fourth. The music it wasn't, it was, certainly wasn't walk up music. It certainly wasn't, no. hey, play this. It was weird. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, 
Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Eerie, eerie music. And also watching a game when you're so used to what we're used to is also really weird. Not having the count on your screen at all times is weird. Not having the score and inning on your screen is weird. And I'd assume it's a little bit weirder for, for everyone else because I was scoring the game. Like I literally have my scorecard. I'm going to show it to Pete so he can uh, show the audience. And I'll, I'll tweet it out too, by the way, so you can all see it. This is my scorecard. It's real. It's there. I see it. It's definitely real. <laughs> the only thing I let, I didn't fill in the standings because – Usually for the playoffs, I put like all the scores of the World Series games or playoff games. I didn't put that in, but I put the lineups in. Uh, there was a couple of other weird things. So when I, I guess it was when Rain Knight hit the home run in the seventh, Vin Scully says something that was so weird. He said, that's the first home run by a guy on the home team in this entire series. That every home run that was hit, through the first six games, was hit by a road player. And when you think about it, he's right. Like, oh, yeah, that actually kind of makes sense. Gary Carter hit a home run at Fenway Park. Lenny Dykstra hit a home run at Fenway Park. Like, that was the first. And the Red Sox hit two home runs in the second inning, the back-to-back by Evans and Gedman. So Ray Knight's home run and then Daryl Strawberry's home run in the eighth, the first time the entire series where the home team hit a home run. Very, very odd. There was a lot of odd things going on uh, in the series in general, um, but some other things I took from this broadcast. Uh, you know, first of all, I love the uh, he didn't call it a run and hit, a hit and run. Vince Kelly called it a run and hit, run and hit rather than a hit and run. I love the play the the when they wanted to do a, a highlight from previous game and they show like oh look at Donald Dar- Strawberry they showed that but then they go back to Dwight Evans almost identical and it's a freeze frame picture. It's like they can't actually do a, a highlight, which I thought was was amazing. I I love the, I love that aspect of it. Like Mookie Wilson when they went to to him with the wild pitch the day be, a couple days before, they just showed like a freeze frame shot of his feet in the air and the ball going by him. Like in, to me, it's a small things like that are just like wow. We'll never you'll never if, if today's game flies by, they have highlights for everything. Like you have to look at the production staff. Be like wow, it's amazing what we do today compared to what, what they did back then. Um, Another thing that really – I don't know if you noticed this, but if you go back when the Mets were up to bat, especially in I think the second or third inning is when I really started to notice it, there's a lady in a red shirt, and every time the Mets player was going to switch – whatever it is, whatever the pitch, she just starts like rolling her hands like she got like some oh, – so, yes. Dude, yes. I was like locked in on her the whole entire so, freaking game. So she's a legend. Like that, that, that's a known thing by people that were around at that time. And the way I referred to her, cause she was around for a while, the lady with the hat, that's how yes. me and my dad and sister would talk about her, <laughs> the lady with the hat. So Pete's right during the world series and this became more known. She would, uh, how do you describe the hand motion I'm doing right now? The, with the, it was the, like a hand over hand and like a quick motion type of thing. Yeah. Like a roll. So we saw her at Shea Stadium, even when I was a youngin. You know, when I'm starting to pay attention, 92, 93, 94, first row, behind the plate, always there. And I forget when they did this at Chase Stadium, but they added rows. They literally pushed back her seats and added more rows. And she got screwed. 
she was no longer the very, very first seat. And I think that was the end of her. And I'm not sure. I, I mean, I hope she's still around. I don't know. Um, she may not be. I feel bad. But yeah, growing up at Shea Stadium, I would always look down because I sat in the loge level. We would look down and that lady with the hat. And yeah, I think she became kind of famous, if you will, in the 86 World Series for doing that with the gyrations with her hand. But as a kid growing up, she was a staple of Shea Stadium. She was, she was the lady with the hat. I still can't get over the fact they put up a makeshift fence for more people to sit and it collapsed. That- and then what was the, oh, I think, I think it was the eighth inning. They looked like a stink bomb went off. The ninth inning, it was in between the last out. Yeah, what was that about? They just threw it out again. I I don't know if it was because they were pr- premature. Except, I mean, first of all, toilet paper's getting thrown around like it's you yes. know whatever, like, like it's candy. And the stink bomb went off. They threw it was sitting there. Mookie Wilson. It was before the final out because I remember like going like, this is how I don't remember being so much red on the screen when Orozco <laughs> gets the last out, but it had drifted away. But yeah, before the final out, there was someone threw it between Mookie Wilson and um, whoever was in left field at the time. But yeah, that that was that was fun. Listen. There was a lot of crazy things. Um, there was, by the way, I did go back just now while we we're doing the podcast. I did check. Keith didn't get forced at second. There was a tag. Go check it out. I think that it needs. But to there be didn't a need to be a tag, is my point, because Gary Carter blooped it in a right field, so he's going to first base. Keith is forced at second base, but so they he never may have been, been tagged. But they didn't need to be a tag. But they did. But he's not out because there there was no reason. There was no one. He wasn't out at second base. They needed to. They, there was no. They never made the throw to second base. They called the the out on the ball. The the guy. The ball went to the second baseman. He wasn't on the bag. He reached out and touched Keith, and that's what they called the out on. But I don't think there was. Go go looking back. No, it was just a, honestly, same thing. Like bottom yeah. line is that you can tag him to get him out, but you also could have tagged the base. I guess he tagged Keith's argument though wasn't about that. Keith's argument no. was signal that he didn't catch it. Because he's holding up at first base. He's saying, what the hell's going on? I have no idea. That was his big issue. But this was this was a great game. It really was. This was a great baseball game when you think about it. 3 nothing, 3-3, 6-3, 6-5, 8-5. Uh, the drama of it, the passion of it. Uh, it was a tremendous baseball game. You're right about a few things. In this day and age, and I think that's only natural for us to compare it to a game of today, even Bruce Hurst. Bruce Hurst, Ron Darling, they are not pitching nearly as long as they pitched. Mm. And it's not like either guy went that deep in the game. Bruce pitched six innings. Ron Darling pitched three and two-thirds innings. We're talking about a winner-take-all game seven. You are not nearly as patient. So I think in Darling's case, there's a chance he's out in the second. And I think in Hurst's case, he doesn't get through the sixth. He was allowed to finish the sixth inning. uh, And that's when the Mets tied it. I don't think he's given that opportunity in this day and age. I don't think that happens. So I got one. Um, there was, uh, let me read this email. Cause it was kind of questioning Ray Knight as the MVP. It's from Noah. Evident Pete, love the podcast, huge Met fan, but only casual about basketball and football. So the Rico's really helped me get through the off season. Okay. I would love to hear your thoughts on my question, which you may wish to say for the episode when discussing the rewatch. Well, here we are. How about that? Assuming Game 7 of the 86 World Series is the winner, it was, I would love to hear your thoughts on Ray Knight winning the series MVP. I was nine when I watched the series, and I always felt Gary Carter should have won it. 
I know Knight had the home run in game seven and a hit in the game six rally, but Gary had so many important hits as well. Hit two home runs in one game, started the game six rally, hit a sack fly in game seven to tie it. Wasn't a sack fly, by the way. It was the bloop uh, that we talked about, but okay, that's fine. Uh, He also had two doubles, nine RBIs for the series. Ray had a higher average, but fewer at-bats. He also made an error, which seemed like a killer at the time. I'm fine with Ray winning it, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Should it go to a guy with good numbers and some big hits or the guy with a couple of huge hits? That's from Miller. I I think his email's Noah, but he signs it Miller. Okay. Miller (laughs) or Noah. Um, You know why it's tough to answer that? Because I'd almost have to go back to give you a really a fair answer besides looking at what we could all look at, which is the stats of what each guy did in the World Series. I'd have to watch every game again, which may not be a bad idea. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should just rewatch all of these games. I don't know if we'll have time to do that, but I think when you look at what Knight did in game seven specifically, because uh, here are the final numbers, by the way, just to have the, the record on this. Ray Knight was 9 for 23, 391 average, one home run, five RBIs. Gary was 8 for 29, two home runs, nine RBIs, 276 average. Ray Knight was the hero of Game 7. He just was. Like, not to take anything away from Carter's bloop RBI fielder's choice to tie the game, but Ray Knight's home run was the game-winning home run. That was the end of this game. Uh, He had three hits in game seven, had a base hit in the eighth inning. That was the hit he scored on, on the Orozco home run. So he had three hits in game seven. He hit the home run. His overall numbers are better, which I don't necessarily think it should be about overall numbers to your point. It should be, I watched the series. This guy was the most valuable. So I totally respect considering everything else Gary did in the series for Carter to arguably be the MVP. But based on game seven, the game we watched, it's tough to argue it because he got the game-winning hit, the game-winning home run leading off the seventh inning, that won game seven of the 1986 World Series. So I'm cool with Gary winning the award. The other guy to look at, though, if we're being fair here, is Sid Fernandez. Mm. Because when you look at this specific game, Game seven of the World Series, and nothing matters previous to this, right? Because if you don't win game seven, what does anything else mean? Keith Hernandez was unbelievable. I'm uh, Keith Hernandez, I'm sorry. Sid Fernandez was unbelievable because Sid had to come into this game down three nothing in the fourth inning, get a huge out of Marty Barrett, and then get six more outs. Like he was tremendous. Now, If you look at the rest of his numbers, and this isn't a case for the World Series MVP as much, he came out of the bullpen in game five, the game they lost four to two, and pitched four scoreless innings. The problem was they didn't come back and win the game. And the other World Series game he pitched in was game two, another game they didn't win. So you would really be giving him the award based on game seven, not as much game five, because as well as he pitched in game five, they didn't win the game. So I guess you could cite the four scoreless innings, but what did it really mean? So I wouldn't say Sid should win the MVP, but absolutely honorable mention for what the hell he did in Game 7. He was a hero in Game 7 of the World Series for what he did out of the bullpen. 
Well, they gave him the uh, player of the game as far as on the broadcast. I mean, not that that means anything at all because it's not the MVP. But I, again, like like you said, it's almost impossible unless you go through and watch every single one of those games. If you take the tone of Game Seven, you could argue Sid or Gary or whomever. But if you take the whole seven game series, you're gonna find the real answer. And I, I we haven't done enough, I haven't done enough research on that for sure. Well, I I would say that when you look back at what turned the series around, they lost the first two games at Chase Stadium, which is incredible, right? You're down 0-2 and you're on the road. Lenny Dykstra's leadoff home run against Oil Cam Boyd in game three was monstrous. Gary Carter also had a big hit in that first inning, but scoring four runs in the first inning of game three when you're down 0-2 right off the top was monumental. Look, it was a group effort. I mean, obviously, it's a team game. There's a lot of honorable mentions, but I do think they got it right overall, just based on game seven and looking at the other factors here. That right now it was the World Series MVP, but what a game. It's a shame to me, Pete, that it's a forgotten about game because I I think that when you look at Met history and you talk about some of the great games, most important games, this one's forgotten about. And, And here's the reality. It's only one of two. There's only been two Game 7 of the World Series that the Mets have ever played in their history. 1973, they lost it. 1986, they won it. And because of how good Game 6 was, that's become the story of the World Series and not as much Game 7 when, I'm not saying it's a better game than Game 6. Obviously, Game 6 is an all-timer. But this was a really good baseball game that would have made me hide under my seat if I was around fully aware of fandom and sports, especially trailing three, nothing going into the later innings. Well, you think, think about this, right? It's, it's weird because you say it's sad that game seven isn't as highlighted. Look at 2004, the Red Sox win the world series, but what's the only series you really think about is them being the Yankees, you know, because when something's so crazy, the way the Mets won was special. That's up there as the best game, best World Series game of all time. So, of of course, you're going to sit there, and, and Game 7 is never going to live up to that, even though that's the one where we actually celebrate the World Series, you know? Yeah, I, I think the – I don't know if it's the same because the result is so different, but another one that kind of feels that way is we always hear about Game 6 of the 1975 World Series. We always hear about the Carlton Fisk game, you know, this incredible 12 inning game, one of the greatest World Series games of all time. And we have that iconic image of Fisk trying to keep the ball fair, right? Well, they played game seven. And in game seven, the Boston Red Sox had a three nothing lead. Does that not sound familiar? In the sixth inning, does that not sound familiar? And the Cincinnati Reds rallied. They scored two in the sixth. They scored a run in the seventh. And they won the game in the ninth inning of game seven of the World Series. And as great as that game is, great game. I mean, they rallied in the ninth. It gets overshadowed by game six by the other team winning, which is crazy to me. At least the Mets are being overshadowed by the Mets. The (laughs) Reds winning the 1975 World Series and a classic game seven is overshadowed by him losing game six as if it matters. It doesn't matter. The Reds won the World Series. So it's not a perfect example, 
But I've always wondered about that as a baseball fan, that Joe Morgan, who's a Hall of Famer, the late Joe Morgan, got that game-winning hit with two outs in the ninth inning of Game 7 of the World Series, and yet more people talk about Fisk's home run in the 12th inning. And that one's even crazier to me. No, it's, it's, listen, you take, this is why I love baseball. Anything can happen at any time. And, and every season you just see the strangest things and different things. And, and that's, that's why you love the sport. That's why you love watching because you just, it's unpredictable. And that's it was the joke of the script of the NFL. Everything is unpredictable. You just, you just don't know. You can't predict baseball, Susan. Well, we hope you enjoyed the rewatch. Maybe it's something we'll do again another time. If you have any suggestions, of course, you can email us, thericob at gmail.com. As we creep closer to spring training coming up, we will give you a roster prediction, the opening day roster prediction for the New York Mets as we enter spring training, spring training battles, competitions. We'll also talk a little bit about radical realignment coming up in the next few Rico Bronias. We appreciate you listening. Thank you for listening to the first ever Rico Bronya Rewatch. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>